I'm wondering about pro or not pro. What's professional and not professional? Because if the intention is just to put meaning into something you do, then a lot of things can be professional and a lot of things that are supposed to be professional aren't. So I don't know. I don't know if just the gear and the final audio quality, like just frequencies, clarity or anything is really a way to define professional and unprofessional. I'm wondering. Hi, this is Jack Callahan, and you're listening to 400 Floor. You just heard from Ma Clément, who collaborates with Zach Phillips as the singers and songwriting team behind Fievel is Glauk, an absolutely singular band on the scene today. With Ma growing up in France and Zach in rural New Hampshire, at first glance the two may seem like unlikely musical partners, but they come together in an incredible union as composers of some of the most complex, quirky, and beautiful music being made today, in my humble opinion. From childhood origins to their recent tour opening for Stereolab, I had a great time talking to them, and especially getting to know my old college buddy Zach even better. This episode has been edited from The Full Conversation, which is available at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. This is 400 Floor. Let's go on and get into it. Hello, you guys. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for being Hello, here. Hello, Jack. Yes. <laughs> Thank I'm, uh, you for having us. Of <laughs> course. Scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little scared too, frankly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe uh, I will just go ahead and ask the first question. And how about we start with Ma? Uh, what was your introduction to music and how did you kind of come to be in the sort of scene that you are now and making the kind of stuff you do? What was your like early experience getting getting into that? Do you remember? I, I remember that I really loved to sing when I would go to church because my parents brought me to church every Sunday. So, yeah, I was I was having pleasure singing there and I don't remember really when it started, but I, I loved to sing from the beginning, from the early years. And then by accident, uh, someone gifted the keyboard to my young sister. And I don't know, I started to play around. And then my mom was like, okay, do you want to play piano? And I said, I don't know. Yeah, and then I started to take lessons for... Um, yeah, learning music didn't stay so much with me. I took took lessons for five years and then I stopped everything. Then I was mad because I was a like boring teenager, so I stopped everything and and then I met Zach by accident somehow. Were you playing music at all with anyone before you met Zach? Before you guys started collaborating? <laughs> I had a brief, <laughs> I had a brief uh, hard rock uh, band in my twenties. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> it was really cool because, uh, okay, the music wasn't really the type of music and the type of things I was singing and we were interpreting, wasn't really my kind of thing, but. 
it was my first experience uh, with the mic. So I learned. I learned a lot. It was badass and it was bonkers. I've heard the tracks. You've heard the tracks? The, oh the my tracks God. don't lie. Wow. When this, when this music is released, Fival <laughs> it, we'll will be over. Be it will be a joke. Wow. It'll be, yeah, moot. Irrelevant. We will, we will widely be seen as Ma's other band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. Yeah. Definitely going to need to... I need to get that get that stuff out there. Probably I think I erased everything. <laughs> That's you know so. every, everybody's gotta gotta do that you know. But <laughs> well, shit. How did you guys meet? I guess. I mean, we can go hop around a a a temporally and kind of get into. Do you know? Um, and, this is a story we've told a lot. Do you know the yeah. app Waver? I don't know. W a v r. It's short for Chill Waver. And we were both, you know, it's a, it's like a, you know, it's modeled like a dating app, or it's, but it's for musicians who want to find each other. You kind of list your aesthetic and yeah. what you're, what you're hoping to achieve through your inspiration and motivation. Yeah, yeah so we, we all have you know. chips under our skin. Like we apply, and then they put a chip under our, like in the back of our neck. I put mine in me anus. <laughs> <laughs> So you got so you were looking so you were looking for 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 love for musicians no no someone was looking for us and like met us meet somehow I was working in the bomb shop cuz I've been no. making bombs for years Ma Ma walks in no. with a keyboard under her arm and I say let's make a hit record we <laughs> put the chip in my oh my god Zachy. I'm I'm sorry I'm ruining the interview. I, no, I, this is what happens when we when we meet right I after it. I wake up. It's perfect. I'm still dreaming, bro. <laughs> no, but someone is responsible for that, and it's our friend Eric. That's for sure. So why was he was looking to do something, and he got you guys together, or like what was the what was the project for? He or like, was trying was to make to make Zach do something. Wow. And I was just doing nothing. And he was like, oh, you're doing nothing? Do you sing? Something like that. Very manipulative, right? Very manipulative behavior. Psychopathic behavior. <laughs> <laughs> so he was trying to like make Zach start a band after not... He was trying to make him record. Wow. Were you, you were not, you were, you weren't making music at the time, Zach? Intractable. Refusing. For, I, I think at that point I had taken over 15 years off. Uh, and everybody was calling me. Everybody was trying to get me back into the studio. I said yeah. no to every offer. Yeah. We had Pino Palladino. <laughs> Practically, I I had to switch phone numbers. Yeah. Then Pino sticks his kids on me. It, it just never ended. And I was just, I was just selling fruits and vegetables. Wow, classic story. From a, a st- street vendor to a pop singer, you know. Mm-hmm. When did you start, you know, like going to see music, like go to shows or something like that? Do you remember where you were living when you started to get into, I guess, that? Yeah. I don't really remember my first show experience. I remember that I started to listen to music, but I wasn't allowed to go out somehow. It was in... Um, uh, not very far from Paris, but not really Paris, in Versailles, this wonderful town. 
Yeah, so I I had friends uh, in high school, and they, because my parents didn't listen really to music, so I didn't know anything, really. And so then I started to listen to music. I was like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. pretty pre important, yeah. Yeah, and then I moved one year after, and I, like, I kind of... It's very disrupted, my path through music because I moved so much so every time I would just lose my friends or be so distanced that I had to figure out on some other shit but then when I went to Bordeaux which is another weird town in France or I have a weird relationship to it anyway but yeah there there were some uh, venues and a record shop where I would go a lot I started to enjoy really live performances do you remember what kind of st stuff you were into then like what kind you know what i remember i remember listening over and over and over to this song uh from the communards which is or maybe it's just a cover i don't know it, uh, don't leave me this way classic so I remember meeting this song and it had a huge impression on me. I love the original one, which is Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, which is like a Philly soul record. And then it was covered by... Uh, by the Communards? Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird... It's Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a Euro, Euro dance cover of it. It's, it's Fuck. Great. Yeah, yeah. I really loved it. We should cover I, that, Ma. <laughs> It's such a good song. You know, you know the songs. I'm sure. Yeah, I do. I, we should do the we should do the Eurodance version. The Eurodance. You know, I didn't really, know they were called the Communards. That's amazing. It's really amazing. But, yeah. yeah. Totally. Okay. That's mm. that's what's one song that I remember. Cool. I remember also. Song. Yeah, I remember also um, meeting with the group, uh, the Ben Cocteau Twins. That was very important for me too kind of exploded my mind like a friend of my dad gave me a cd was like listen to this i was like okay so i listened i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah i also remember listening to the radio like a ton of really not so great music or not so underground music <laughs> french radio et voilà aérodines sont en même temps les véhicules et les états Aerodynes are not out of different times. Passengers are flux returning from the keels in direction. Sont autant des objets que des destinations, toutes suspendues, malgré leur lourdeur. They are no less subjects than origins, none crushed by our weightlessness. Elles se défilent, se défont de la gravité, oublient qu'elles sont faites pour la chute. They expose themselves, keep lightness. And remember, they won't be destroyed to not ascend. Alors elles peuvent flotter. But we cannot sink. How about Zach? Like, what about you? Like, what's your early experience with music and like how you kind of found that you, that was what you wanted to do? I grew up in, uh, um, in New Hampshire and uh, I too went to church, but I did not enjoy singing there. But there was a really cool organist there and... He would play really long cadenza, like walkout music, you know, um, every day, just improvising. And that was really cool to see. Later, got into like James Booker and, um, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> through that, through that kind of thing. 
but I just really liked classical classical music of all kinds. My mom showed it to me. She was she was uh, you know an abortive uh, conservatory student in piano, and actually was kind of um, she had a she had a a really mean professor who kind of dissuaded her from pursuing her studies in piano, who was actually Belgian, uh, French Belgian or French speaking Belgian. Um, this this was at in in uh, at Louisiana Tech or Louisiana State University in like uh, you know in the the sixties early sixties. So evil European. <laughs> yeah, typical. Anyway, she she had like kind of a she kind of had a investment in 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 exposing me to music. I think, and um, I was. I was really into it, man. Really listened to a lot of Mozart and Bach and kind of eschewed any vocal music I really didn't like. I remember really not liking choral music and sung music in general. And um, then when I was about five or six, I had a babysitter who wanted to go to a They Might Be Giants show and took me it was on their flood tour um so that was my first uh show i don't remember it but that after that i started i liked them so i was listening to that stuff the beatles all that and um then it got pretty weird from there jack got pretty got pretty weird from there we have a shared history for for some of it have having gone to to college together for at least two or two or three years, I think. So, but I am, I'm definitely curious about that sort of the plunge after getting into music, you know, and then sort of getting into more or less, more or less popular music, quote unquote, and then sort of like how people kind of get into the, like the depths of like local scenes and weirder stuff. Like, do you remember like what what like the the next the next step was for you getting into maybe more esoteric type musics or whatever yeah not really exactly sure how it happened but i ended up running a a like a server a private server on kdx using um using like external external hard drives i think i stole one stole like a 200 gigabyte external hard drive and taped it under a, a computer at either my high school. No, I think it was at the local college. Um, no, I think it started at the high school and I got busted there. And then I started looking for other computers down downtown to like to tape a hard drive under. Right. This 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 would have been in around like 2001, 2002. So I was like 14, 15 we, you know, everybody was reading the anarchist cookbook and like, you know, the, the, the hackers guides that were out, we all knew like the phone tricks and shit. Or when I say we all, I mean me alone because yeah. I was, a you loser. didn't know anyone else <laughs> in person. Yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, you know, everybody had like, in, everybody was internet dating, like without any concept of ever meeting anybody. And we were all like, you know, that it was that burgeoning, you know, Y2K, like, post Y2K internet culture where it wasn't just like Napster and LimeWire anymore. There was kind of a more involved dimension, even for kids who were kind of scraping 
the cultural barrel, you know? Um, and so, and through that KDX thing, basically you would, you would end up trading. It was like a client server kind of thing. And you would become friendly with people running the other servers and stuff like that. You could use your own wares. Uh, and I was controlling this with like on dial up from the woods in New Hampshire on like a remote desktop app that was like incredibly slow. So I would just be sitting there like waiting for the cursor to move so that I could type something in to like download from a server. But like one of the servers was run by some FMU DJ or something. So they had they had insane archives. There was a, a weird psychedelic record collector from out like in the Pacific Northwest and he had like unbelievable like every Sid Barrett bootleg you know like uh, and that's the tip of the iceberg like he had like really and uh, you know these people were really serious collectors and stuff which which was my first exposure to like collector culture that made me realize that I, I didn't want to participate in that or care about that at all right yeah but I, I was really into like just like downloading this shit and then like listening to it and and then you know I, I met Quentin Moore big French who has played in Fievel who you, you know and um, and we were kind of going through the shit together and we were going through all kinds of phases this is when we were like 15 or 16 so we were like we were like the number one like 16 year old fans of the of the I believe they're from I want to say they're from Wellington but I'm probably wrong band uh Rex small speakers on expensive stereos like shit like that we were into esoterica and and um just curious about all these weird sounds you know and and uh and then Sarah Smith you know from Blanche 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 like we met when she was 15 I was 16 and she was in, she was incredibly it, right from the beginning she was exposing me to all kinds of shit I had never heard about mostly books but also a lot of music too so those were kind of key contacts and then older siblings um you know also showed me important things and that's the that's that's the boring long answer oh and then and then i'll just cap it off when when i was around 17 you know it was like there would be like local punk shows and stuff like that they'd be like held at a vfw or whatever you know the drill um but except that this was like more rural new hampshire shit so instead of you know there being like 40 heads at the florence vfw or whatever in massachusetts we're talking there would be like four heads you know at like a vfw that's like just a little barn kind of thing and uh and then like you know a, a local punk band or something and 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 uh, me and my friends who started to exist at that point started being like, well, we should do like a noise performance or something like we would never use the word performance, but you know, so, so I had various like noise bands starting from then. And when we met, we were both, I would say involved in a, in a, in a, in the noise scene in Western mass. Right. Like that was, that was what we were doing. Ma, you never made noise music, right? Not really. I wouldn't consider it um, nice. I did some weird recording alone, like five recordings alone in my room when I was living in Brussels. Um, I think right after meeting you or something, I did some, pff, I don't know, some shit in my room alone. 
scratching. You're scratching? Yeah, I was scratching bottles, like glass bottles in a mic, <laughs> in the mic of my computer because I had no gears. So I would record everything on GarageBand. Yeah. Okay. That I'm a bit sounds great. That. I think that disappeared too when my oh, computer no. broke. Oh, that's too bad. We'd love to oh, we man. recreate it, you know. But mm, I don't know if I want to recreate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best. That's my nice experience. important for me was this like local i mean it was like a i think it was probably clear channel already at that point but local radio station oldies 104.3 and uh they would they wouldn't veer you know far from like they wouldn't really go later than like everyone's a winner and they but you know that was how i heard like crimson and clover and shit like that you know that just mind like or or dizzy by Tommy Rowe or something just kind of these like footnotes that all that that culture or girl group quote unquote music that that culture of of innovation and novelty and recording like trying to push the frame but like keep it really really tight and like perfect that was that was that was in a way more impressive to me um than the art experimentation of say the Beatles or the Beach Boys. Like I, I really like gravitated toward like the early Beatles. I liked the bubblegum radio stuff, but completely left cold by its kind of revivalist imitators in the nineties and two thousands, the like Kill Bill vibe or whatever. Um, or not left cold. I thought that was that shit was fun. But you know, you know what I mean. It wasn't like oh my god, <laughs> like. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, you know, the noise thing, it, it's it's interesting because, you know, well, what's possible to say about this that doesn't sound like haterism? There, there's kind of there's some indie culture out there that I think I don't know. I feel I feel a direct line of connectivity to the to the noise scene and when i say the noise scene i'm not talking about the experimental the serious experimental scene 
which which maps onto the noise scene to some extent. But you know what I'm talking about here. I mean, it's ridiculous to talk about scenes as if like we can we can do anything but hypothesize them. But you know, like what I mean is that is that there's this feeling of like we're all plumbing the same well or we're all like dealing with the same shit. Like I I, I when I used to go see like Fat Worm of Air or, or Jeff Hartford or, or or something like this, you know in Western Mass, the the feeling that I got from some of these people who like I mean, well it's funny, right, that I'm that I'm that I'm describing a difference between like the noise thing and the experimental serious thing because who is more serious than Jeff Hartford? Like the man is serious. He's 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 completely serious and yet there's something light about the whole thing, about the about the stakes of it, about the understanding of its import, about what it's how it's supposed to be operating, how it's supposed to act on you, you know, all of this is really left open. Where it, in some of the serious experimentalism, it's kind of it's like offered to you like the way that a museum offers you a piece of art with with the with the full authoritative backing of the museum institution and the board of directors. You know what I mean? Yeah, this frame. <laughs> Yeah, the strong, the super strong frame. But then we we had this lightness. You could you could be serious within that lightness. Anyway, th- these kinds of procedures that I felt like I was getting from these people, you know, in that scene, like um, these kinds of gestures and these kinds of relationships to making sound and stuff, are still like that's still what I do. You know, it's not. It's it's absolutely not related to like a kind of broader culture of like indie rock or, um, you know, ev- everything is very removed. Like it, 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 far be it from, I think me or Ma to think that we could uh, like, we'll cover music, you know, to, to get inside of it and learn how it feels to make those sounds. And also the, the finery of an arrangement the finery of, of of even the simplest arrangement, like when we covered that Lenny Kravitz song, that was yes, one so of those did. studio afterthoughts. He's, you've listened to? I think maybe Zach, you sent it to me you, as just a file or whatever. So good. I knew I knew that was right up your alley. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're trying to get inside that music too. I learned how to say yeah with that song. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Good. yeah. Oh yeah, but I was just gonna say like, we, yeah, we we you know we like to cover stuff sometimes and all that, but um, I see one essential differentiator as like there 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 are people out there and they're not wrong. Like it's just one modality of relating to music. It's completely it's it's foreign to me, but so is you know. So is Versailles. So are we. So are we for them or something like that? No. But you know, but but I'm saying that there are there are many people who who believe whether whether this is actually how their music comes to exist is another question. But believe that they that they can take a bunch of things that they like and strive to make something like that. What I feel like I learned from being involved in that noise scene, and again, this says more about me than it does about anything nobody was feeding me this message but but that that um it's some you know it's this it's you know insert a stupid reference to like beginner's mind or something like there there is no there is no need for an original thought or an intention it instead let's 
yeah, let's try to translate this moment into into something that an object that we can um, have an uncertain kind of transitional relationship to. And um, this is going to happen within a social space, right, where we have to deal with the X factor of what how it's going to hit the other people and how they're going to act. Because some of these people who come to these shows are pretty weird, you know? You're telling me. <laughs> it's a wider array of possible responses and behaviors than maybe you would encounter if you just played it at like the local museum you know want to talk about the sort of the origin of the the band i mean i guess you talked about the actual origin of the 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 musicians app but then like what was the genesis of like you guys getting together i mean you know i i know there's kind of like a big i know at least zach could there's a whole obvious period of blanche 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 you were in the c.s schneider bands uh you know all of these being osr tapes all of this stuff but like then coming out of after all of that and then the sort of beginning of starting five volt yeah i'm just curious maybe just even just like the sort of genesis after that how you guys came to like start actually writing music and playing shows and things like that ma um like do you want to talk about how why we kept going after that first month you know or because whatever, it's, or it was cool. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> no, it's good it, reason, fe- yeah. it felt. I don't know. I don't know. You, I remember at the end of this first session ever, you, Zach Phillips, telling me, "Oh, you should come to New York." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Uh, I don't have thinking. Yeah, in your dreams, I don't have the money. <laughs> But you were like, I know a way to make you come over to visit that we could record some stuff. Like, we just have to set up a show and it would pay for your ticket. I was like, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Is this guy serious? Like, how could that happen? And then he made it happen. I was like, okay. Yeah, like a few months, a few months after we first met. Yeah, like in February 2019. And we met in August 2018. I I think like the night... After our gig, we went we went to Blue Note and saw Thundercat. Is that right? Like, was that that same night? And I cried. Yeah, that was just that, and it was like uh, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, incredible I show. thought I was like, okay, if this can happen, maybe God exists. Something like that. <laughs> Thundercat's like another. He's a. I mean, I wouldn't want to make an example out of him. He's 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 a, an American original, but. You know, he's somebody who comes out of a, a context who got kind of transposed into a, a more of a jazz context. I mean, I know he has lots of history going back with connectivity to that music, but like, I don't know. I it just he he's inspiring because um, he's somebody who comes out of a broader world of music, you know, and then delivers this thing that 
that, uh, you know, it's like I was talking to our friend, our mutual friend, Christopher Forgus, the other day. Uh, we were listening to Thin Lizzy and just talking about how there, there's there's basically like not a kitchen in the world where Thin Lizzy isn't welcome. Like Thundercat's kind of like that, you know. Um, nobody's like you can go, you can you can talk to the like biggest harsh noise purist in the world, and they'll be like, "Thin Lizzy's pretty good, though." Or whatever, oh you know? yeah, yeah, they're like a, <laughs> exactly, they're like the, the great leveler for sure. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, but you asked like, you know, how this all came to pass. I'll just say this. This is something I maybe I haven't said before. It, it, around 2017, 18, I had made quite a lot of like overdub records. And I and I I became more and more curious. I made this one record with with um with my friend Calvin Grad, where we both um where we, we recorded it live to four track, just guitar and Wurlitzer, and that was actually released by Eric Kinney, who who introduced me and Ma, and who has played in multiple Fival bands, and he runs this label Sante Loisir. So after making that with Calvin, I was kind of like, well, honestly, this is a this is a lot. This is a much faster way to document songwriting, like, it, and it's a lot more fun actually to to do it with a friend live and work the stuff out and like work on problems in the music. Like it was a learning experience. And then I got this little band together called Lilith outcome, um, with, uh, Ryan power, Marlon Sherry, Derek Barron, uh, and Cal Traver and, oh, and Billy McShane. It's na- a band named after one of, uh, Laura riding the, the kind of, uh, hater poet. Um, <laughs> one of, one of her, uh, persona, um, and um, yeah, and, and that was all recorded on this little Marantz uh, cassette recorder that, that I had had since uh, 2010 or 2011, and, and which me and Chris Wiseman and Danny Bissett uh, in Brattleboro, we used to have this band called the Marshfield Set that was like a secret band that never played a show. But we got together every week and we would, everybody would bring a song and we would uh, just kind of jam them out and uh record it to Marantz and yeah so so with the Lilith Outcome stuff I I guess I was just feeling kind of curious about what it'd be like to just do it to the Marantz using the onboard mic in the tape recorder you know and just setting it up in the right place in the room first time we recorded like that I was like oh my god this is this is great like this is the first time I've liked hearing my own voice I can hear the air I'm hearing the setting i'm hearing like a picture of the setting and 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 anybody familiar like ma you know you're you're in there on your computer making scraping noises on bottles into the computer mic there's something uh, occult and uh, i always say that word wrong occult and magic just about the sheer fact of recording anything at all you get you can you can get a lot out of that. You're like, that's what that, that's how that microphone hears that. And that's how that audio gets spit back out to me. Wow. I couldn't have anticipated that. Um, and, um, yeah. So when we, when, when Eric introduced Ma and I, and it, it was basically like, you know, I was like, yeah, like come over and we'll play some music. So we came over, she came over, we did life after love. Cause it was the first song that, came up that we we both knew 
and um, recorded that to the Marantz and listening back. And we it's put a that out. recording? Oh, yeah. And we put that on, on, uh, on Nina, in fact. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I know, just listening back to it, it was like something new happened to me. And so I was keenly aware as we were recording, you know, we, we, we did this string of visits where I would go to Brussels or Ma would come to New York or we went to L.A., you know, and we made we did five sessions like that. And each time we went to a studio, whether it was like a totally DIY tape studio vibe or like, you know, a proper studio. And uh, we ended up with all these studio recordings. And I was like, I didn't really do it for me. I didn't really know how to mix them. But I remember like whispering in Ma's ear, like at one of our first rehearsals, like, these guys think they're practicing for the studio recording, but trust me, like, this is the shit. Like, this is <laughs> bullshit. Which is Where the I'm greatest like, thing. That's a classic thing. You trick them into thinking that it's the rehearsal when it's the final. Yeah, trickery. Trickery. Loving loving trickery is is really helpful. And and to lovingly trick yourself is so important, too. That's right. That's right. I, that's one I, of the I hardest things to do, but... When you I might have it. been saying that to Ma, like, oh, yeah, like, this is the shit. But that was really just, like, some art posturing, you know? Like, I, I was still tricked into thinking that we were actually practicing for the studio recordings as well. Like, even as I <laughs> you, said you that. Even <laughs> you ended up using it, yeah, yeah. And so was Ma, I think. Like, we were but all yeah, like, yeah, that I mean, trash? Like, I don't think so, you know? But anyway, you know, I'd be in there on these same headphones, like, because it's mono, mixing the vocal signal and then the one condenser mic on the band and trying to get the vocal to band blend right and often failing and being like wait wait wait, can we do that again like everybody's like this is our like fifth time playing this song like can we just play it all the way through i'm like yeah but the beginning wasn't good like we're like (laughs) already at the session you know screaming having the headphones on your ears and not listening hearing yourself being like this sounds great (laughs) this is the take that was cool. I had no idea of what you were doing, like, honestly, when you were doing it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I didn't I know surprised. what the fuck I was doing. I just literally yeah. threw up, like, one shitty Samson condenser mic. And now, like, yeah, you know, we're we're working on a, a very nice studio record. And, and we're working with a label. And we have, like, people to talk to. Um about our failings and inhibitions and confusions and, and desires. But but actually the stuff that that is popular that we've done is that shit. Yeah. And that that yeah. continues to interest me. And I, I you know, I'm not I'm not so I'm not so um heroic that I, I wouldn't strive to just repeat you know how like sometimes on social media like somebody will get caught like posting something that was successful before but they change like a couple parameters of it because they're trying to get like another viral tweet or something I'm not above doing that yeah I'm not above <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm not above trying to recreate the Morant's formula but at the same time it's kind of like a dead letter it's not there it's not gonna we we have to keep because of the western mass noise um, heritage. Uh, we have we have to doggedly pursue the current moment's hidden inclination um, 
very, very, very well, well stated. I have to say. <laughs> well, I'm, I am curious about that, actually. Like, you know, because so much. I mean, I, I think a lot of your music, you know, I, throughout the years that I've been familiar with, has has either due to technological constraints, but I think you know, kind of like a you know, just the love of that sort of sound world of that, you know, kind of four track, maybe people could call it lo-fi or whatever. That's kind of been sort of an aesthetic that is part of your work for a long time, Zach. And so I'm I'm curious, you know, how people who do that kind of thing, I mean, you could think of like a Sebado or something like that, of like how they translate that kind of sound world into doing like a studio record that is like professionally recorded. And so I'm very curious to hear the the Fivel, the the pro studio Fivel recordings. I'm wondering about pro or not pro. Uh, I have also a little comment. Uh, lo-fi, we say we say lo-fi. Of course, yeah, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, yeah. Voilà. <laughs> um, no, but I'm wondering what's what's professional and not professional because if the intention is like just to put meaning into something you do then a lot of things can be professional and then a lot of things that are supposed to be professional aren't. So I don't know. I don't know if just the gear and the final audio quality, like just frequencies, clarity or anything is really a way to define professional and unprofessional. I'm wondering. No, no, no. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're totally right. I think like, I'm an audio engineer, so of course that's like this this lingo that we use or whatever. You know, like a pro recorded or just you know. I think that's mm-hmm. more just a proxy for recording it in a professional studio with expensive equipment. You know, okay. and like uh, high frequencies in the <laughs> in the recordings or whatever. I, that's the, I think that's all. Nice I, converters. All I, yeah, and, just okay. like good, clean good to... clean recordings that then you can make make dirty if you want but like you know yeah clean isolated recordings that you can edit and you know whatever Mm. that kind of but whether yeah exactly like professional in the sense of having artistic merit or something like that or having some (laughs) standard that's yeah that's not at all no i I mean mean. (laughs) the what what i learned from from this kind of uh personal renaissance and using the Marantz um, and really, really preferring the results that came out of those recordings to, um, to anything else that, that I was doing with overdubs. Cause we were also in tandem with that also working on overdub recordings on the four track and, and digitally. And um, we also did these studio sessions. So there's really like at this point, you know, we've recorded probably about, 200 songs together or something like that or uh, yeah really close i think it, it easily 150 mm-hmm. so there's there was a lot of material to listen to but the stuff that stood out was just the Morant stuff and what i learned wasn't wasn't anything about my fealty or feelings about lo-fi versus hi-fi or anything like that what i learned is that behind these kind of like illusory um descriptors that kind of obfuscate um, more than they reveal behind that the, the the you know as an audio engineer I'm sure you can relate it makes a great deal of difference just the way you go about doing something and if you are recording to um, one microphone 
you know, you are creating a sound picture. It doesn't matter if we did that digitally with the best possible converters and a, and a $50,000 microphone. Um, well, actually, it would matter. It would matter tremendously, right? But the fact, the fact of the matter is that that recording like that with one microphone on a on a live band is is fundamentally just going to lead to a very different representation than getting a bunch of close miking on every source and and then mixing the result um, in the box later. Um, and and so that's that's all I have to say about lo-fi versus hi-fi or whatever. But I, I, my dream is to go into a really 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 nice studio with a killing fival band and have the engineer be like, "All right, listen, we've got this really really nice uh, studer like mastering you know reel to reel or something like half inch or something like that." Or you know, I'm betraying my ignorance about these things already, and. And we're just going to, you know, set up like a cross stereo mic, um, like, you know, a stereo pair, really, really nice mics with these nice converters and stuff. I'm going to position you in the room. I'm going to have I'm going to go around changing your amp settings and all that um, to try to get the right balance. And I'm going to be kind of like riding, you know, maybe I'll have an extra boom up for the vocals or something to make sure that that level is is sitting pretty and that's it you know it doesn't matter if that's recorded to tape or digital what matters is that is that you end up with a a sound picture that you can't really intervene in that much and it sounds it and and it's coming from something that is a lot closer to uh, a human organism's set of ears you know it's not it this is not naturalistic thinking it's it's more like i've noticed anecdotally that um i respond in a different way to recordings that were made um it, it, with a setup mimicking what it's like to experience sound in the real world 100% i'm that's like a a classic yeah that i mean john bonham drum set was recorded with two mics you know it's pretty 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 uh one of the greatest drum sounds of all time, you know, but no, this is really, really something you can track with the history of drum recording, right? Like you can really, you can really hear that in the old recordings, like in all those old jazz records and shit. This is not like a close mic, you know, seven mic setup on these kits. They didn't have, they didn't have that. It takes time. curious about how the stereo lab tour how it came about <laughs> first of all and then just maybe if you have any anything to say about the experience of it because that's a pretty you guys were on the road for it was a that was a big tour that you guys did mm-hmm. your biggest tour mm-hmm. yeah i, would love I, if I you think the first thing to say is thank you stereo lab because it was an experience and a unique one i think 
Yeah, that's the first thing I would say. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe it's also the last thing I would say. If the only thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course, I'm, I'm fully, uh, uh, I'm, I'm open to there being nothing to say about it because of, you know, it was probably a very, uh, it was probably a very intense experience, and I know what at least, yeah, talking to. No, nah, we have, we can, we can talk about it. Ma was in town to to write and to do a show with um, Cities of Eve. You know, Gavin oh, had asked yeah. us mm-hmm. to play a show, and we met and and uh, did a show at Marco Hotel. And um, but I had another I had another show while Ma was in town with Alice Cohen, who I was playing bass for, and I was at rehearsal, and um, I got this Facebook message that was like, "Hey, so you guys said no to the Stereo Lab tour?" And I was like, "What?" Like. They're like, they've been trying to reach you for, you know, weeks or something. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, why don't they just, you know? And then I found it was like a Bandcamp message hidden in, um, you know, the updates folder of Gmail or whatever. So, yeah, from their manager, Martin. So then we we got on the horn with him and talked about the the logistics of it. And, um, and just kind of were like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this thing. We were um, scared and excited. It was a cool experience, and it, it was um, very challenging, like, uh, materially, uh, that tour. Um, Emotionally, and too. <laughs> I, when I look back on it now and I see videos of it and stuff, I'm like, oh, actually, we were playing all right. Like, that, that's pretty good. I saw you guys at Brooklyn Steel, and it was burning. It was, you guys were oh, on fire. Great, but it didn't feel like that at the time because the tour was so materially difficult that I think we we weren't playing at the top of our game as a band, um, or it, we weren't able to enjoy it at the top of our game. You know, you know what I mean. So we're doing our best, yeah. But you know, it it, it was um, it was it was really cool to see that we we could go out and play for like a thousand people and probably less than ten percent of them knew who we were or even looked us up or anything and we we had a a pretty great response and that was uh that was touching unexpectedly touching um because i i you know i think both of us ma correct me if i'm wrong but i think we we share a kind of uh detachment about um all this like we're not people who go around feeling like really proud um or like identified with the things that we make we 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 just enjoy doing this stuff so we our 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 relationship to the music that we make probably has more in common with a listener of that music than um than somebody who's gonna go take a you know uh with commanding authority you know identify with what they've made and say like well this is what i do and this is what i intended and this is how it's supposed to be and all of this you know it's a, it's a looser object for us mm. than that right ma is that yeah yeah but it's something we don't control uh for like i don't know some some parts are out of control or autonomous i would say more than out of control but then you know you have these victories occasionally that are that are surprises like we played the show in detroit where i, I don't think any of us we, we we weren't feeling particularly good when we started the show but it just no. it, it went over <laughs> so well with the audience that it was like kind of uncanny and um 
invigorating. And I, that was a new experience for me because uh, I'm accustomed to thinking of myself as um, a, a weird antagonistic piece of shit basically you know like in, in a good way byproduct of coming up in the noise scene and <laughs> yeah mass, definitely you're like a thorn in the side of society like you're like you're like a fuck up um, and a mistake like and i still have that relationship or a surprise and it gives yeah, you know, exa- i don't know <laughs> totally. see you know what that's the power that's you know the power of positive mental attitude that's, well that's the know, polarity that's right. there those are the two sides of the coin you know you're it's both it's a bit of both you're like i'm a hero and such a loser yeah we're switching roles <laughs> but you know whatever gets whatever keeps the locomotion going you know so okay, about I'm remembering the some of the specifics of the Stereolab tour. You know, not to go into anything too specific, but I know that it was like a very. You guys had to rent a van. I mean, the tour was a month and a half. How long was it? It was forty days, more than thirty shows, I think, or something. Come on, you've 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 been there a million times, right? You, I mean, Jack does you know does live sound for bands yep. and he'll go he'll go on a tour like that no yep. questions asked he won't even get paid he, he, exactly is this this <laughs> just the language right now hire yeah. jack for free i for- should have hired you <laughs> well i was i you know i i would have loved to of course we could we you know convened about it a lot and ultimately i was my my recommendation which i assume is what ended up happening is i just was like make us Make a list of demands, make a stage plot and an input list, and just hit the hit all the enge- house engineers beforehand, you know, and you'll save ten thousand dollars or something like that. You know, maybe not that much, but you know. Uh, did you end up bringing a sound person? No, we yeah, we it's probably for the best. You guys that. sounded great at at Brooklyn Steel. Honestly, it was, thanks. Sound was great. You crashed with people every night, right? You never, you never got hotels. We got a hotel one night. One night. One wow. Night. I mean, that's because yeah. because how many people were in the band? Seven. There was a pool. Six. 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 That's a lot. That's a lot of people to. But I'm I'm sure you have, you know, stalwart fans and resources. Yeah, exactly. So that's cool. Zach but, has. You know, yeah. Well, you yeah, know, I just I just called Daddy and it got all sorted out right there, Jack. There we go. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Daddy Warbucks. Yeah. yeah. No, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard, and um, and and uh, you know, and it increased my. I'd I'd been on longer tours before and and knew that I could couldn't really hack it. It was too much of a baby and stuff, but it this one really made me keenly aware of what people are going through because for all intents and purposes like for openers we actually like had it kind of easy like it was kind of a nice vibe and um the pay was slightly better than you know than most openers expect so um even though we were stretched incredibly thin to do it we were kind of all aware we were like we're the lucky ones like oh my god this is is what the lucky ones you know get yeah this is a rough game like you but yeah um crashing with people all of the time yeah you know Mm -hmm. how it is i had no idea i had no idea what i was saying yes to and then i discovered so zach tricked you again he keeps (laughs) the history of the band he keeps tricking you yeah yeah (laughs) No, it's just I have to learn somehow, and that was 
That was the way I've been taught. We're in a perpetual state of feeling lucky that we have people, you know, friends around us who want to play this music with us because it's not, it's not, all the conventional rewards aren't really there. I really feel like, um, you know, and we didn't really get to talk about the nitty gritty of how me and Ma work together in writing stuff. Because for the last two years, um, or more, actually, we've, um, yeah, for like almost three years now, yeah, for three years now, everything that we do, 95% of it is stuff we wrote together. And that's really interesting. Like, actually, the music you write together, not like the lyrics yeah. in addition. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we, 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 it, it, it starts with a melodic impetus for Ma. So she'll sing like a little melodic cell. And, um, and I'll, I'll try out different harmonizations. And then Ma and I will like kind of, you know, agree or disagree about what should happen next and um my relationship to writing and harmony has been really advanced and pushed by this writing process with ma to an extent where it's actually become pretty boring for me to write alone um and i i, I no longer i feel like something's missing i need this this voice that's that's uh, offering new information and also some antagonism to like my worst inclinations and lazinesses and stuff. So it's just changed it a lot to work with Ma. And um, I think we we started out with an uneasy relationship. Like it wasn't that interesting to us, the idea of like, Zach will write some songs and then Ma will pick the ones she wants to sing and then we'll do it or what. That was that was a limited form, and I think we were keenly aware of of those limitations. So when we started writing together, and it actually worked, um, that was that flam- lucky. Yeah, like Flaming Swords is the beginning of that. Um, yeah, I just I couldn't I couldn't have done any of the writing that um, that we've done in the last three years without Mob being, you know, right there in it. That's um, very sweet. No, that's. I mean, that's amazing. That's a that's a rare uh, collaborative possibility, you know. And then like composing things together is especially stuff of the complexity that you, your music is. Both both of the your music, it's like it's pretty remarkable. So it's really that's a cool to learn. I tried to do music with other people. Yeah, it's never worked out the the same. No, I I just I don't want. <laughs> I just don't want to do this with someone else yeah well i'm excited for it to continue yeah i mean i guess i before we go do you you guys are working on a record uh do you have anything else that you guys are excited about that is coming up for fival well we're it hasn't been announced yet we're gonna do a show next month um won't say more about that but um yeah and we're working with people in um in Brussels, um, 
we just started playing with a new uh, f- flute player over there, and that's been really cool. Um, Lucia Pierce. And, uh, you know, and we're trying to get together to do more writing and, and recording with, you know, hopefully at a... We really want to do something at Paul Miller's uh, tape studio in New York. Um, really love him. And, uh, yeah, we're just kind of in a, in a, in a, this band, we're slow, you know, like we generate a lot of material, um, but we don't decide what to do with it. And we kind of just wait until something feels right. Um, and that's, that's that, that old MO, you know, of like gestures needing to come from somewhere, come from the right place, not just imposing the intellect on things and deciding like what would be strategic or, or make sense. Um, it has to make gut sense and, um, it has to be live in a way, you know, like the decision-making has to be live. You know what I mean by that? Is it cheesy to say alive also? It's maybe cheesy. Maybe we, I don't say it. I mean, it's a little vitalist. You know, you've got that, you've got that French yeah, exactly. tradition behind My French soul. No, I, I'm really, I'm really all Nothing about that. Nothing I can I, do. We, 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 um, we, you know, we, our new, like our new single, uh, scanning things is like the titles taken from this, uh, Pessoa poem. And I've been reading, I've been reading him a lot this year, um, just everything I can, including his like kind of writing in English and all this stuff. And one of the, th- he, he has kind of a vitalist, uh, platonic idea about poetry and song and stuff like that. He's like, these, these, he's like, these creatures, these are, these are human beings is what he says. And, they have um, a spirit for sure. Yeah. And I, I think that that kind of, I wouldn't I think a vitalism would uphold that and say that's that's real but um, a kind of psychodynamic um, curiosity approach would just bracket that feeling of like oh my god this this song it's alive it's a it's an organism I need to respect it I need to see I need to find out what it wants I need to learn how to speak its language and ask it how it wants to be represented or if it wants to be represented that that's kind of more where we're at as as morton feldman would say don't push the notes around don't push the notes around yeah exactly um which is so hard not to do and and at the same time exactly what you must do right so this is just kind of like a a a very fertile field of paradoxes that we all dip into and um that's that's our shared you know quest i guess is for for deepening deepening relationship to the old paradoxes that just don't go away thank thank god it's good good stuff good for what ails you bad for what hurts you bad for what helps bad for what aids you good for what ails you bad for what aids you it's beautiful i uh, i Honestly, I think that's probably a pretty good place to end. Well, thanks, Jack. Thank thanks God. for thank having you guys. us on yeah, the show. Thank you guys for uh, doing you. this. This is fun. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Enjoy. Right, your much time. love, Chef. Chef.
Thanks to Ma and Zach for joining me to speak about their lives and work. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to 400 Floor wherever you get your podcasts. To hear the raw and uncut version of this episode, plus much more bonus material, you can purchase it at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. 400 Floor is a podcast produced by Nina Protocol, where two musicians pair up to talk about their roots individually and together and reflect on the communities that shaped them. We'll be back in a few weeks with another deep dive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.